Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, police accuse a California couple of making up an elaborate abduction and rape. But proof of the crime lies in a single strand of hair. We'll talk about the Netflix series American Nightmare. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, love of my life and favorite nurse, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Talk about American Nightmare. (laughs) Taking care of you when you're sick. Yeah. I mean, so you're good. You just sleep. I know. How hard can it be? I'm just lying there like a log. And I got to take care of everything else. That's the problem. <laughs> also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And by the time this podcast comes out, I will be in the home stretch of almost having a new stove. Oh, Ooh. my goodness. Still, still waiting for that stove. Stovegate. I'm Stovegate uh, by next Wednesday, which will be two days after this podcast drops. Allegedly. Would you come up with a new suffix for things other than gate? No. Okay. No one would know what that is. Stove Palooza. I don't know. Yeah. Did you get the can of Sterno I sent over so that you could <laughs> cook your Frank and, Franks and beans in the can? Yeah. Basically, that, that's what I'm at right now, Kevin. I've got my fireplace. We have an induction wood. plate we could give her. Well, I have. My friends actually gave me, my friends Ann and Rolf gave me this like plug-in single burner. So I've been using that, my crock pot, and then I bought an air fryer. Ah. Wait, wait, wait you bought an air fryer? Yes. Didn't you have it's, an air fryer? Um, I left it at my past residence. Oh, someone. <laughs> she lost it in the so, divorce. Okay. <laughs> I lost the air fryer in the divorce. That must so have I been just, contentious. It's not on a custody schedule. Oh, what? <laughs> it's not. It was more contentious than the cats. Let me tell you. No, it's not my weekend for the air fryer. <laughs> well, can you smuggle the air fryer in your duffel bag? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I he, Will's been with me and I said, boy, Will, I said, this air fryer is really growing on me. I said, I don't know. I kind of like it. He goes, yeah, mom, that's all me and dad cook with. I'm like, uh. well, I'm glad it's getting used. Nice. <laughs> And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. 
Hi, Rebecca. If you could refer to me as the puzzle maker from oh, here on, yeah. I'd yes. It. I'll call you Toby Mustard from now on. Yes, Toby Mustard. Toby Mustard. Colonel Toby Mustard. Yes. We've heard more uh, mustards in the last two months than I think I have That's right. in my entire life. We have yeah. a good mustard and a bad mustard. Yes. A yes. spicy mustard. Yes. And a fucking rancid, spoiled mustard. Yes. A honey mustard. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kevin, can I just throw a public service announcement out there in the world? Sure. Wash your hands. Is that it? If you are sick, if you find yourself coming down sick and you take a COVID test and it's negative, go to the doctor immediately and get a flu test. There's an outstanding chance you have the flu and the flu is treatable, but not if you wait a day or two or three like I did. And the flu fucking sucks. I have the flu. It is terrible. I have been sleeping nonstop. I am super sick. Kevin, can you not attest that I've been on my back for days and days? <laughs> not in a good way. And not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, can we get some more like, of this flu? That's a lot of TMI, Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> you have been on your back. I've been useless, useless coughing, but mostly just like sleep. I slept for seven hours yesterday and then I went to bed at 930 thinking I was all refreshed and I was going to read and just went back to sleep. (laughs) Anyway, uh, even if you've had a flu vaccine, it does not mean you do not have the flu. A lot of people at my doctor's office who have had the flu vaccine have also come down with influenza A, which is what I have. Go get tested for the flu. And there's influenza B and there's that RSV that's still RSV out there. RSV is going around. And of course, COVID, yeah. So, we, hey, it's that time of year. So try to keep yourself healthy. Well, I, I posted on social media that I was sick and uh, our friend Ronald Young Jr. Uh, texted me today and he's like, how you feeling? And I was like, not great. I've got the flu. And he's like, People still get that. (laughs) (laughs) What is this, 1956? It's like retro. Yeah. Yeah, No, people still get that. And it's going around like gangbusters and it bad. So go get tested for the flu. You're going to think you have COVID. It feels exactly like COVID, but it's the flu. Um, So, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's program. Yeah. What is coming up on Thursday's show? On Thursday, we're talking about the podcast, The Estate. Okay. That's The Estate. The Estate. Yes. Estate. The estate. Yeah, it's not state, but you're pronouncing it like with an S. Like the, my, like I'm, I'm a scared of uh, listening to a state. I'm a scared. I'm a scared. Of listening. Yeah, no, it's the estate. Okay. And uh, that's what we're talking about on Thursday. That's, are you okay? That's exactly what I just said. But today is Monday. Today is Monday, And yes. we're talking about what we're about to talk about. Oh my God, Rebecca. I hope so. Be, Rebecca, get back on your back. All right. And let me take over. Do you want to take over? No, I do not. What are you going to, should I go ahead and drop that first clip? Yeah, why don't you drop that first clip? Let's go ahead and drop that first clip and get started and get that done right now. Leading off. I believe him and I believe him in my heart, but nobody in fucking North America is going to believe this story. In 2015, Aaron Quinn told Vallejo police his girlfriend had been kidnapped in the middle of the night by home invading frogmen. Detectives thought he made up the far-fetched tale to hide her possible murder. But days later, Denise Huskins turned up at her parents' house with a similarly elaborate story of abduction and sexual captivity. None of the claims has been substantiated. And I can go, I could go one step further to say this. Mr. Quinn and Ms. Huskins has plundered valuable resources away from our community. 
Citing its parallels to the movie Gone Girl, investigators accused the couple of a hoax. But miles away, a rookie detective uncovered an out-of-place piece of evidence in a serial rape case, a strand of blonde hair attached to a pair of blackout goggles. How could this person who's charged with investigating crime think that this is like a Ben Affleck movie. That's Hollywood. This is real life. The Netflix series American Nightmare follows Aaron and Denise's ordeal, first as the victims of a bizarre serial rapist, then as defendants humiliated by cops who said they lied about it. It also features the investigator who bucked the system to get them justice on more than one level. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about significant plot points from American Nightmare. So if you want to remain spoiler free, this is a twisty one. Go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Further note, I am the host of Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast, and we did cover American Nightmare, but I promise that has not influenced my review in any way. Laura Bricker. Yeah. This documentary starts from the police's point of view with police body cam footage. And we hear Aaron telling the story of what occurred on that night. You got to admit, it sounds bananas. Yeah. And I have to say, I think the way that they set up this documentary, when you hear Aaron talking about what happened, there was a bright light. There's a taser. They're wearing wetsuits. These intruders come into their home while they're sleeping They tie him up with zip ties, blindfold him with swimming goggles, drug him with cold medicine and what was it, diazepam, and then take his girlfriend away. It it sounds like it's straight out of central casting when you hear something like that because it's, it's quite elaborate. And also he was very calm in reporting it. So when you hear that, I'm like, okay, I can see. As a viewer and as somebody that's like a consumer of crime media, I would get sucked into like, oh, did this really happen? Because this sounds so far out there when you hear it at face value. You at first are like, there's no way this really happened. I actually want to get all three of your takes on this. Toby, what did you think when you first heard Aaron's recounting of what happened in those early morning hours? So they do one thing to kind of, I guess, heighten your like, did he hear, didn't he thing, which is that where he's interviewed seems like kind of this dingy background, like dingy kind of concrete background or whatever. So it's like, this could conceivably be something to do with a prison. That's what I thought. You're never quite sure like if he's in or he's out. Personally, I kind of believe the story just because I think if I was faking somebody's abduction, I would come up with something that was a pretty normal abduction. I would not start throwing in all this stuff about the wetsuit in particular, but there's all these particular things that he mentions that are way out of the ordinary. And if you're just going to say like somebody kidnapped my girlfriend, there's other ways that I think uh, sort of conform to expectations that the police and public would have that would probably do you a better service. So I was willing to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt on that. And then once he starts getting questioned, your complete allegiance goes to him because the police are so freaking awful. So anyway, that was my take. What were your thoughts, Kevin? Oh, I totally thought this was a lie because, hey, we're going on more than 600 true crime reviews, right? This just reads like a bad cover story for in the middle of the night. I smashed her over the head with a lead pipe and got rid of her body because we have seen this. And I think all of that is working against us as viewers and, quite frankly, against the police as investigators. All that we know about 
these kinds of things, what we've seen before, kind of falls into this. And I got to tell you, I was part of the way through the second episode before I started to believe, wait a minute, they're really telling the truth here because it is just that crazy objectively right and then of course i felt horrible because i mean i wasn't on the investigative team or anything like that but it's just it is so bizarre and you can see why it's so frustrating and we'll get into that i mean is it this crazy by design or just by that's a whole second question yeah. yeah i mean the details are way beyond the typical victim suspect fallacy but you know their pivot to it's a hoax was fueled, I think, more by like personal frustration and peak than anything else. As well, fu- the one thing that stuck out to me, and it's like, by the way, I'm sure we have some listeners who are like, you guys are all idiots. I knew all about this case. What are yeah. you talking about? Right. But none of us did because, you know, we're not like steeped in this world. But um, the thing that stuck out to me is that he never wavered from any detail of this. Mm-hmm. He did not change any detail. He kept telling it over and over and over again. And all the details remain the same over what, like this, like, 20 hour period of questioning and then when he went to talk to his new lawyers he told them the story in exactly the same manner and like he just never wavered on any of the details and it's such a detailed story they're blacked out he's blindfolding us i sit up and i feel this kind of foam headphones over my ears and then this music starts playing as you mentioned toby This cop, Detective Mustard, and we're calling him Colonel Mustard, but Detective Mustard (laughs) really does show who he is right away in like the most insane way, right? Yeah, I mean, he kind of goes really hard after Aaron right off the bat, and his little thing is, I'm a puzzle maker, and I'm going to construct a puzzle to make you look like a monster. It's kind of funny in how sort of ham-fisted it is except for the fact that you've got somebody who turns out to be completely innocent (laughs) listening to this cop basically say i'm gonna build a case to fucking put you away seems like it'd be better to be a puzzle solver than a puzzle maker right i mean he goes on like he says all kinds of objectionable stuff somebody says that he told him says that muster told him that women who are molested as girls try to recreate the experience to get the thrill again. Yes. And that was why he thought maybe this was a hoax. And it's like, he said that to her where parents. the fuck did you come up with that? He said that to her parents. <laughs> oh, he said that to her, the parents? Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, yeah. it's weird and insane. And, you know, the guy won, apparently a couple years later, won uh, police officer of the year. <laughs> for that year. No, it was for that year. It was for that year. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't paying much attention to the years. So, <laughs> Toby, it's much worse than you think it is in every instance. <laughs> the Vallejo Police Department seems like kind of a shit show, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's really something. And what's interesting is that Mayor Island, I kept thinking about this the entire time, right? This guy, well, we'll get to the guy, but they get to later um, and his like sort of accelerating pattern. Mayor Island is where Paul Dorr is from. You know that? The the guy that Jarrett Kobeck fingers as the Zodiac Killer is from Mare Island. And it's like this interesting place, naval base, like these, you know, people coming in and out. And it's like the idea that this place is like home to like like this, like this one other person and this other person. It's like, I don't know. It's just very interesting to me that this this place just seems very odd to Mm -hmm. me, generally speaking. Anyway, uh, Laura, what are your your thoughts on Mr. Mustard? Oh, I mean, I I can't really add much more than what Toby said. I just thought that it was very much, he was really setting him up by going in and saying, you're not a suspect, we know you're a victim, and we're just trying to get to the bottom of things. But then as it progressed, 
The lie detector part was just ridiculous, like telling him that he failed this lie detector test and that wasn't true. And also like, why are we still even like talking about lie detectors? Because they're not reliable. And yet we continue, they're not admissible. Like, why do we keep seeing them in cases? So I think the thing about it, and I, I agree with what you said, Rebecca, is that Aaron stuck with his story. He stayed calm and- That was hard. I would have like hopped up and like punched Colonel Mustard in the face probably, but good for Aaron. But like when we get to the point where we do see a defense lawyer going in with one of these people for questioning, I was like, thank God that defense attorney is in there And they believed him. I mean, first of all, I was impressed that they believed him because, you know, it would be easy, I think, not to. But Aaron, he's a great example of, again, doing, quote, all the right things. He stayed calm. He knew his rights. He was like, I'm telling the truth. He didn't get agitated and give the police any reason to upcharge him in the moment. Like he did quote all the right things and didn't work. None of that worked. The police kept, you know, focusing on him anyway. They dressed him like a perp by taking all of his clothes and putting him in the in the perp clothes, making him look, you know, and feel even guiltier than he may have felt. They basically put him in a position where he could have confessed wrongly and didn't. And I was actually very surprised that his lawyers immediately were like, yeah, yeah, we believe him. But okay, now let's pivot because of course, you know, we're in the spoilery section. It turns out, of course, that Denise actually was kidnapped. The kidnapper does not do this hoax theory any favors because the kidnapper behaves in such a way that it completely fucking feeds the hoax theory. The proof of life audio, for instance, mm-hmm. sounds very hoaxy. Wait, 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 what? It says, my name is Denise Huskins. I've been kidnapped. She sounds calm as can be, not stressed, not upset, not nervous, not jittery. It sounds like she's just ordering from a menu. Yeah, well, I mean, it gets taken one way. It does sound like, again, that she is just faking it, right? Yeah. It's, oh, you know, a demeanor evidence again. Well, how are you supposed to sound when you are making basically a hostage tape? You can't tell whether there's literally a gun to her head or whether she's been drugged or she's in shock. The thing about sending an email later that the, demanding the police apologize to them. Seems hoaxy. That's it, exactly it, what would happen if they were committing the hoax and they wanted to cover up the hoax is that they might send a fake email to the police demanding the police apologize to them. Yeah, it makes me wonder, like, was Mueller intentionally making it look like a hoax or is it just that he is so bizarre in that way that it it comes across it reminds me of um this episode of the x-files it's generally considered by tv guy to be like one of the best episodes of television ever and it's called jose chung's from outer space and i'm looking to see if toby like if an eyebrow raises because he's familiar with this this was the episode charles nelson riley plays this author and he's like writing this book based on a real event where you know a guy thinks he sees uh, an alien the cold open is like he's attacked but he's, he's like trying to be captured by like two aliens and then like a third alien comes and you realize the two aliens are fed guys in rubber suits. it's like what is all this like thing within the thing and basically what I'm getting at is there's a scene where two you know mysterious figures all dressed in black approach the guy and you find that one of them is being played by Jesse Ventura. And he's basically making the point on this monologue that the government intentionally makes the details of these things seem odd because then when the people tell the truth, they will sound crazy. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's designed 
so that the truth is not believable. And then the scene ends by like, you know, once you, you learn that they're trying to make it as wild as possible, you see that the second guy is uh, Alex Trebek from Jeopardy. So you're about to get sleepy. So, you know, it's so bizarre with the intent of seeming unbelievable. But I don't think it really was his intent. I just think... It's just all him in this bizarre way. And we could talk a little bit about why we think he is like that. But it doesn't feel like a setup. Like a setup would be like me talking about Patreon right now. Oh, yeah, that's a setup. Like moving into the business (laughs) section. What a setup. Proof of life. Proof of life. Proof of life of our Patreon. Rebecca and I are going to give our own proof of life. On Friday, we're going to be in Las Vegas. We are. And we're asking any listeners if you want to meet us at the Central Bar at the Mirage. Yes. 6 p.m. local time. Okay, should I just, gonna, can I just make say something right now? Yeah. We taped this a long time before then, and I will not be sick by then. I promise. You can come see me in person. It'll be fine. Yeah, there are worse things you can catch in Las Vegas. <laughs> um... <laughs> Toby's face. <laughs> so we're going to also... Are you talking about the clap, Kevin? The drip? <laughs> uh, yeah, you get all sorts of stuff there. You can get influenza B, too. Uh, not B2, but B also. You okay, can lose well, all your money. You lose all your money. That's pretty bad. But don't lose all of your money. Save a little bit of it and join us at the exclusive content level. You'll get things like our Crime Writers on After Show. And this week, we're going to be talking about Laura Bricker's Misadventures Through the Looking Glass. <laughs> or it just might be her misadventures down the stairs. Laura is just having all sorts of life issues, and we're going to get into all of that. Oh, you, you also get our uh, podcast, Married with Podcast, where Rebecca and I give advice. And you can also listen to Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker podcast at the uh, Brichter scale level. There's also the Deep Divers. Everyone gets to hear Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, but if you join him at the Deep Dive level on February 5th, you can watch him record his discussion of the book, The Angel Makers. Toby, who's joining you? Joining me will be Bridget Keown, Sarah Carradine, and Sarah Kalin. Nice. I ask this every week, but have you finished the book? I've now started the book, which is a which is a the first step. Um, yeah, if you want to read a book about an evil midwife, this is it. This is for you. It's about a midwife in a small town in Hungary, and it's actually it's super interesting. Yeah. Really like it so far. Rebecca Toby never struck me as the kind of guy who like waited to the night before to do the assignment. Yes, he did. Right? Yeah. Oh, he yeah. Does. Are really? you kidding? Yeah. Have you met Toby? Oh, okay. Yeah. I have a chat with my mom, who was also my English teacher <laughs> yeah. when I was a senior. Yeah. Uh, when are you doing the Killers of the Flower Moon, Toby? Have you already done that? Uh, we did the book a while ago. We're doing the movie uh, in February. Okay. Because it's now available on Apple TV, I just discovered. So and I it'll was, take like, you between ex- now and February to finish the movie if you start it's, it today. It's a long I kind of fell movie. asleep yeah. during it, so I might have to watch it again. Yeah, don't, don't wait till the night before on that one. <laughs> Hey, last week, I want to encourage you to sign up for our free newsletter at CrimeWritersOn.com. There you can get all sorts of great stuff like Crime Writers On behind the scenes. You can see the post of the week and the cat of the week and the crime of the week and, you know, stuff from the Crime Writers On merch store. Do you want to get a shirt that says, I enjoy a feud among subcultures? Well, that's how you do it. So that's what we've got going on. Join us at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. Kevin, does thus end the business section? Thus ends the business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. 
The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. So, Toby, Denise returns, okay? She gets dropped off near her family home, not where she was kidnapped from, but she gets dropped off three hours away-ish near her family home. And even though she's been kidnapped and then is dropped off, the police immediately suspect her now of her portraying a hoax because there's no, quote, door-to-door kidnapping service. They suspected her after the proof of life. They suspect her after she's been dropped off, even though she wants to get a rape kit done, even though she has this horrific story. What were your thoughts? Like, the fact that there was this immediate pivot to this Gone Girl story. I mean, one of the things that I couldn't help but think was, Gone Girl, by the way, fucking great movie. If the movie weren't as good as it was, would people be so quick to jump on this Gone Girl theory first? Second. It, like, what does it take to believe a woman when she literally says she's been kidnapped and, like, asks to do a rape kit? Like, who would be faking that? No one ever buys into the glass onion theory, right, from uh, Knives Out? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Toby? Yeah, well, nobody's gotten any favors from the fact that it happens to coincide, basically, with Gone Girl being out or, or it's mm-hmm. just afterward, so people have kind of consumed it. Yeah, again, it's the Faleo police just seem completely out to lunch. I don't know if it's sort of reluctance to actually have to do any real investigating. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of introspection about how did we get it so wrong with the first person? Maybe we should avoid that with our next suspect. Let's just have a press conference instead and call it a hoax. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. And then I think there's also the aspect of the media just lapping it up, right? I mean, that you see... I think well afterwards, I I was, again, I wasn't quite tracking all the dates, but they're showing TV news footage of, you know, alleged hoaxer, blah, blah, blah. I I don't know, like, what goes on in Vallejo. 
that they're so conspiracy minded or just lazy and they don't want to try and find suspects other than the exact people they happen to be talking to about the crime. They don't come across very well. They don't. And here we have a guy who has been committing a pattern crime for a long period of time. Right, Laura? I mean, it struck me watching this that this person used to be a peeping Tom and then there were break ins and then there were stalkings and then there were, you know, a almost rape where a woman asked him not to rape her and he didn't. This guy was the Golden State killer in the making, basically. Like he had all of the hallmarks of a future serial killer. Like he was escalating. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, absolutely. And 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 he also was extremely intelligent. What was he? A Harvard Law School graduate. I think when that all was getting pieced together, and I'm just going to jump into my thing that I want to talk about by the woman detective, Misty Caruso. On her first day of work where she on like. F- <laughs> yeah. And they're like, do you want to go? And she's like, heck yeah, I want to go. And I'm like, rock on, Misty. But you see her, you know, they find the cell phone when they have the incident where he tries to take the 22-year-old woman from her parents' home, drops his cell phone in the escape. And they were very clever in how they figured out who he was when they called the mother or called and said like, oh, well, yes, um, we just want to get his phone back to him. But when they find that cabin and Misty's observing that it smells funny and like something else is going on here, she just has this like gut feeling. And then they see the goggles with the hair. And I'm thinking, okay, so this is how an investigator that's going into something with an open mind is actually going to figure out what happened here. Somebody that's going in who's like, hey, this doesn't make sense. Let me check this out. Oh, hey, look, this is interesting. And then when she ends up tracing it to that island where they have all those peeping Tom incidents. And he stops me and says, hmm, have you heard of the Mare Island Creeper. And I thought to myself, where is Mare Island and who's the creeper? Yeah, so Misty gets a hold of one hair and will just call everybody in California. Meantime, in Vallejo, they won't bother tracing the telephone call coming in in the middle of an abduction case. No. But in the meantime, they will uh, they'll also give an award to the guy who ended up doing the one investigation that cost the city millions of dollars. Yeah. So yeah. Misty reminds me of uh, that cop Roxanne in the Bear Brook case. Yeah. Who like would put, goofy, put yeah. together all the all the pieces. But like Misty, keep in mind what Misty did. She's just like, I have this hair. It has to belong to someone. Yeah, that's true. She could have been like, this hair could literally be this guy's sister's, whatever, who cares? And she's like, no, this hair has to belong to someone. We also put the blacked out goggles on. Why would you put those goggles on his sister? Well, well, think about it. Like Rex Hoyerman just got uh, charged with another murder because his wife's hair was present on the body of one of the victims, right? So like people's hair, people carry other hair with hairs with them to crime scenes all the time. Misty was like, this hair might belong to a victim. We need to figure out whether or not this hair belongs to Oh, she was to like, not Mike. She like 100% knew. And yeah. she was 100% correct. She was 100% correct, but, yeah. she, she needed, but she needed to know. And it's like, that's what a cop is supposed to fucking do. That's what you want your cops to do, right? Ask curious questions. Ask curious questions. And you want, that's what you want detectives to do. You want them to detect. Mm-hmm. Now I want them to make puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin, we have to talk about this elaborate theater Uh, The sick, twisted, elaborate theater that Mueller did while Denise was being kidnapped. Now, one of the big questions, we'll talk talk about the actual theater he did, but one of the big questions, because Denise and Aaron believe there were multiple people involved. Mm -hmm. 
I believe that Mueller made it seem like there were multiple people involved. I believe that he had like the dummy in his car. You know, I believe that he did tricks with lights and sounds. That's, That's just my belief because he's really smart and he used that music and all that stuff. Do you, first of all, do you believe there are multiple people? Second, what do you make of the elaborate theater he did where he pretended, to, well, where he was talking to other people and then where he made up this thing with Denise where he was being told he had to sexually assault her? Okay, well, I will say that I do not believe he had an accomplice. However, Aaron and Denise have not been wrong about any detail of this case. That's true. So, I mean, who's to say? And they this, say there was more than one person in their house. They, they're adamant that there was more than one person in the house, but... Nothing about the the evidence or about what we know about the perpetrator would lead me to believe that. But, hey, that's what this whole case seems to be about. People misjudging and not believing the, the things that they say. I just can't say. forget the but, dummy they found in his car. Like, Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that says that to me. But, again, you you um, call Aaron and uh, Denise wrong at your own peril because mm. they seem to be correct most of the time. So I think Mueller was kind of into self-loathing. Like, I think everyone has touched on this, you know, this elaborate need to say like, oh, I'm acting on orders from someone else. He was looking sort of for like this girlfriend experience. I'm your hero, even as even as I'm raping you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he's trying to find a way where, for lack of a better expression, to give himself permission to do the bad things that he's drawn to do. Like, he knows it's wrong, and he knows he shouldn't do it, and he feels guilty about it, but he's concocted a way mentally that he can get away with it. There are things where, you know, he is expressing remorse or at least demonstrating knowledge of guilt by taking her home is one thing, right? I mean, I think we can all agree that left unchecked, at some point, he would kill one of his uh, victims, but not on this day, Hmm. right? He did not. But can we talk about just for one second, because it it plays into this, how they let Denise talk for more than 20 minutes straight. And I pull those suctioned goggles off of my eyes for the first time in over half a day. Then I look in the mirror and I'm just so detached. Like, I don't, I don't know who that is in front of, you know, I just see. Like a filmmaker, you often would just kind of jump in and then like they'd have to have a different voice kind of come in and, and, and tell it. We were talking last week about sometimes there are people that aren't good at telling their own story. And it has nothing to do like with their character or whether or not they were victimized in a worse way or less way or anything like that. It's just that some people sort of naturally can express that. And she did that. Right. She has the ability to just tell her story. Maybe it's because she's told it so often over the years, but she's just compelling and so good at that, that as journalists, remember, these these aren't diaries. These are documentaries put together by professionals. The professionals acknowledge she can take that on her own and they can put the burden of the narration solely on her and she can carry it. And the filming that they did was, you know, the the recreations that sort of illustrate the things that she's talking about were also, I thought, they really enhanced the effect because they were claustrophobic. They were not sensational, but they also sort of played into this idea of confusion. And I thought that that was remarkable. I can't remember a time where he sort of took their hands off the wheel and just let someone else go with it and it worked like that. And that's one of the reasons why is, you know, watching this where I'm like all of a sudden like saying, I... I think that they're speaking the truth about this crazy story. Hmm. 
So, Debbie, what do you make of, of Mueller? Because he does do this play acting thing and it does seem like he wants to be liked. My take is that, like, he wants to do the bad things, but he has this complex where, like, he can't stand to not be liked, even as he's doing the bad things. Does that ring true to you? Yeah. I mean, it feels to me like he's like, except for this, I'm like basically a nice guy. So, you know, when it's over, I'll drop you off at your house. You know, if I feel bad for you, I'll just sigh and walk away like he does with that one woman. The mental gymnastics that he has to do, I guess, to live with himself and sort of mitigate the fact that he's doing these things. You know, that whole thing is set up uh, in the house where it's, you know, it's not really his fault. Like, this is something, you know, I got to do it. It could be somebody else. It's better with me. I'm going to be gentle with you or whatever. Then the second time, he's like, you've got to pretend like you're enjoying it. You know, I think that's that's pretty clear what the psychology behind that is. What's sort of interesting about this story is it's not all that complicated in terms of there's really just maybe three people involved in it, right? And really just two for the most part. If you're going to put this on as like a play, you could very easily do it with two and a half actors, essentially. So, and I think that also helps when she is sort of let go with this 20 minute story thing. There's almost no kind of asides or contextualizing or anything she has to do. It's a, this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. I felt like this, I drank, you know, I was downing shots and drinking wine to get myself like as numb as possible. You know, it's just like this sort of TikTok of her time there and her kind of reaction to things, as opposed to you think about if you tried to do this with uh, the Boston murder thing, and you've got all these different forces at play that you're trying to kind of incorporate into describing a crime, you know, they don't really spend much time going into it at the end, right? I mean, they, you kind of get the stuff and then they arrest them and that's sort of it. And you then go off and focus on the fact that that Aaron and Denise are, are a couple. This thing apparently brought them closer together if they were actually on the rocks when it started. Yeah, so you're kind of left. like he, he seems a little bit like a blank slate at the end, which is fine. Like I don't think this is really an inquest into him personally. It's more a s- crazy story and how you know one d- police department <laughs> completely fucked it up on all levels. And then one like absolutely inexperienced detective in another police department basically figured it out and exonerated these two people who were under heavy suspicion, despite the fact that they were the victims. Also, Laura, one other angle we have to acknowledge is there's a media angle here. And we do have a reporter in the story, Henry Lee uh, from the San Francisco Chronicle, who tells us he was wrong. Seeing Denise and Aaron out in public, they're not saying anything, but they're Emotions spoke volumes. I regret my part in this because they went through hell. We're thinking that we're covering the story, the salacious story of a lifetime, and it all went horribly wrong. He didn't get it right either. What did you think about Henry Lee? I thought he was a great person to include in this. I thought it was a little strange how they were like filming him sitting in his car. Like, what was he out on surveillance out on the beat? I wasn't really sure. Uh, (laughs) The mean streets of Leo. Well, it was funny. There were some like interesting choices in this in terms of where they film people like Toby pointed out at the beginning. But I thought Henry was great because he talks about what it was like as a reporter when this happened. And I mean, there's definitely this like interest in true crime. And at the time that this is breaking, it's right after Gone Girl. It's sort of at the beginning of all the true crime podcast era. Like 
there's a lot happening. But then when he starts getting the emails from the kidnapper, he's kind of like, oh. And I think that's where he starts to sort of question what his role in this has been and what is actually going on. But, you know, you've got to give him credit for like actually recognizing the role that the media did play in this. And I think that that role, like that intense public interest in true crime in recent years did play a big role in how the media was covering this case. It was like the perfect storm of the police department being inept and total confirmation bias. And then the media being like, whoa, this is a great story. Like I can think if I was a reporter and they're like, this is a gone girl hoax. I would have been so excited. I've been like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, you know, there is something about being on a story like that that's super bizarre and being able to cover it. So I thought it was good to have that perspective in there. Looked like he had a pretty nice car though. Stolen. (laughs) (laughs) For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out American Nightmare on Netflix? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for American Nightmare? So I'm, I'm going thumbs up with this. I liked this so much more than I thought I was going to based on the name, which didn't really set me up to have high expectations. I was like, American Nightmare. That's like the most generic name I've ever heard. But honestly, having watched this, it kind of was American Nightmare even though it sounds like a very strange name. So I thought this was just a super interesting look at a case in this abduction case. We have all of the people involved in this. It's three episodes. I loved the music um, at the beginning. I don't know. It's just like a little detail, but I, I really liked the music in the intro. And I liked the platform that they were able to give the people that were involved in this case to really show what happened and how it happened and how it affected everybody involved. I I thought it was really interesting. And um, it definitely, there were parts that got my blood boiling, some of the police in this. Um, So, you know, if you want to do a little rage walking after, this is some good fodder for that. So thumbs up. 
Toy Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for American Nightmare? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up, sort of a mild thumbs up. Like this is really like true crime for entertainment's sake, which I think generally gets a bad rap, which which I more or less agree with. In this particular case, I don't feel like it's quite as sort of lurid and exploitive as sometimes that true crime for entertainment stuff can be. I think in this case, the right people are kind of empowered to make the story their own uh, and are fully involved. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very odd story. You know, the reason to listen to it is how strange the story is and it gets continually stranger. Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, it's fine. It's fine. Moderate thumbs up. Kevin Flint. Well, I'm going to start with a thumbs up to my panelists for doing a spoiler free review because it's hard to not spoil what happens in this right off the top. So I'm going to say with that, first of all, I agree with Lara as well. American Nightmare, though, is probably the weakest part of this whole production because it's a name that doesn't really say anything. It doesn't really talk about what is really happening here because it, it is perplexing. They give the right people the platform to express themselves and talk about this bizarre case. It does provide incredible twists and turns, especially if you, I mean, if you're not familiar with the, uh, the case from the news, if you don't remember it, then buckle up because this is quite the story. Don't spoil yourself. Don't spoil yourself. Go right into it. What's more to say without saying that you will talk about the central figures in this case, over and over again about what they went through and what makes them all tick and whether or not justice was served to all who deserved it and the manner in which they should have had it. Okay, so I'm going with thumbs up. Yeah, I'm going thumbs up too. And I'm going to disagree with Toby on one point. He said this was true crime for entertainment's sake, which it was. However... That's kind of like meta for me in this in a way that I like because this case is such an incredible confluence of like the super rare bananas crime and the worst of the true crime industrial media complex that sort of unravels it. It's just it's a weird confluence of shit. And I think that you have to make a fucking entertaining documentary out of it. If you didn't, it would be like, what else are you going to do with it? The right people are in it. That's all I'm going to say. The right people are if they weren't in it. I wouldn't give it as hard a stamp of approval as I'm giving it. But I really, really liked it. And I it's just straight true crime. And it's very rare that I like something that's straight true crime as much as I like this, like straight true crime stuff usually doesn't do it for me, but this is just straight true crime and it's just super well done. And it's one of the most interesting stories that we've covered in a straight true crime thing in a very fucking long time. So yeah, big thumbs up for me for American Nightmare. I also liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. And it needs a new name. It needs a new name real bad. That's just my only criticism of it as well. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call... The, the crime, crime of the week! The crime of the week. School librarians like things neat, orderly, and predictable. Maybe that's why Katie Albers took up a clothing company's challenge to wear one of their dresses for 100 days in a row. On her birthday, Katie donned a red wool dress and wore it to the Owensboro, Kentucky Middle School day after day. She changed up the look with a cardigan or a scarf, but it took her co-workers more than two months before they caught on. Katie says a low-impact job like librarian 
means she could get away with occasional spot cleanings in between laundry loads. The company Wool Ann says 13 women completed the 100-day challenge and each got a $100 gift certificate. They said the challenge was not only to prove their dresses are excellent everyday wear, but to prove one can simplify their wardrobe. They also want women to know that clothing doesn't define you, which seems like a poor marketing position for a clothing company. Panel, what item of clothing do you think you could get away with wearing 100 days in a row? Laura Bricker? Um, well, of course, my buttery soft La La Row Crime Writers on Leggings. Yeah. Very nice. It was a toss-up, though, because I just got some fleece-lined pants, and given the temperature in New Hampshire, I might wear them straight for 100 days. Wait, 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 just really, you could wear leggings 100 days in a row? I could wear leggings 100 days the in a row. I did leggings. during the, the COVID. She's no, not I saying she that. wouldn't wash them. Okay. I would wash them. Yeah, no, oh, okay. I'm not. We have Toby's face. Toby's in. You're allowed to wash them? Of course you're allowed to wash them. I will wear my birthday suit for 100 days, Kevin. Oh, okay. <laughs> Toby Ball, what item of clothing do you think you could get away with wearing 100 days in a row? I think once somebody sees you one day in a union suit, the next 99 are probably just, you know, not a big deal. (laughs) What about you, Kevin? I think I get this right here. Hold on. I think I could get away by wearing this brown bowler cap. I think I could do 100 days in this. What do you guys think? That stupid bowler hat? Yeah. Let's put it to the test, man. Let's put it. Yeah. All right. Pulled it right out of the, whoops, there you go. It's hard to wear with headphones, though. I've worn these I've jeans every that. day since Friday. Is that is that Does that count? Keep it going. All right, I'm going to let that roll. All right, Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you and see pictures of your incredible crime writers on leggings so they can understand why they also need to buy a pair at our crime writers on merch store. How can they find you online? They can find me at Lara Bricker. What about you, Toby Ball? How can you be found? At Toby Ball and H. Kevin Flynn. I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. You going to post a picture of yourself wearing oh, that yeah. bowler there hat? Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, let's see. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible official Crime Writers On Facebook group. Just go to our regular old Facebook page. There's a pinned post there that tells you how to join the group. You just have to know one of our names. That's all you got to know. Get episodes early and ad-free at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. You'll also get the Crime Writers on After Show, Mary with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this show is Nurse Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we also listen to our French music with foam headphones and blacked out goggles. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. You know, the reason to listen to it is how strange the story is and it gets continually stranger. So that that's the reason to listen to it. There's I mean, there's not a whole lot of like watch it social insight it. or or anything like that. So you keep saying listen to it. You used to watch it. Watch it? Yeah. Is this a, was this a show or it was podcast? a TV show? <laughs> Toby, didn't no, you I'm watch? I'm just fucking the- kidding you. She says that was really good, Toby. Ah. <laughs>